You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. We are in a series on the Lord's Prayer, so today we're going to talk about your kingdom come. And uh, this is going to be uh, like the whole prayer in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6. And so this is the third petition we're talking about. I'm sorry, the second petition, Hallowed Be Your Name, was the first one. The second one is Your Kingdom Come. And so in this, uh, this is, these first three requests are about the Lord. They are God-centered. They are Hallowed Be Your Name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then uh, the next three are towards us. They are our daily bread, forgive our sins, lead us not into temptation. So the the prayer breaks down uh, into that, and that way it's easy to think about the Lord first and then our needs after that. Um, There's no way in a message I can cover the theme of the kingdom of God, uh, but I can make a book recommendation to you. I know we've been making a lot of those and putting them up on the screen, uh, and we're not selling any of them out in the, the lobby because we don't have our coffee area, our cafe area open. That's coming but we don't have anything like that right now. We've continued to keep that shut down. So I'm just going to have to recommend this by slide or, or by, uh, you can see this online. Uh, Seek First, How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything. Uh, Jeremy Treat, he's a pastor in L.A., Um, And this is an outstanding book that does something unique. It takes the theme of the kingdom of God from Scripture and shows shows how this is really the foundation for the Christian life. And honestly, I think I would say if I could give one book that gives an overview of a vision for the Christian life, I can't think of a better book than this. Uh, this is the book that's impacted me the most when it, me- when it answers the question, what does it mean to live and walk out the Christian life? And uh, so it's called Seek First. Uh, it is really eye-opening. I don't care if you're a new believer or if you've been a believer for years, decades, you will learn from this book and be challenged. Uh, he'll say some things you probably hadn't thought of that I think will be very helpful from the Scripture for you. So anyway, I recommend that book on the kingdom. Um, but let's begin by just reading the prayer. And since this is an outline of prayer, I'm just reading the sections that we've covered so far in today's section intentionally to make a point uh, so that we see that each of these points is a section, an area to pray for. So verse 9 of chapter 6, this is God's holy word. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. To begin with, I, I want to consider the meaning of the word kingdom sort of need to know what he's talking about uh, before we really uh, jump into praying for this. We have to know what is the, what, what's even the idea of the kingdom. So we're going to need to do a little bit of a theology lesson this morning, and then I'm going to jump into uh, how do we actually pray this prayer and what does this prayer mean. Uh, I was provoked by a story that R.C. Sproul, uh, theologian R.C. Sproul, told in his book on the Lord's Prayer, which really gets at the idea of the kingdom. He says, in 1990, I was invited to Eastern Europe to do a series of lectures in three countries, first in Czechoslovakia, then in Hungary, and finally in Romania. 
As we were leaving Hungary, we were warned that the border guards in Romania were quite hostile toward Americans and that we should be prepared to be hassled and possibly even arrested at the border. Sure enough, when our rickety train reached the border of Romania, two guards got on. They couldn't speak English, but they pointed for our passports and then pointed to our luggage. They wanted us to bring our bags down from the luggage rack and open them up, and they were very brusque and rude. Then suddenly, their boss appeared, a burly officer who spoke some broken English. He noticed that one of the women in our group had a paper bag in her lap, and there was something peeking out of it. The officer said, what this? What in bag? Then he opened the bag and pulled out a Bible. I thought, "Uh uh-oh, we are in trouble. Then the officer began leafing through the Bible, looking over the pages rapidly. Then he stopped and looked at me. I was holding an American passport, and he said, you know American. And he looked at my wife and said, you know American. He said the same thing to the others in our group. But then he smiled, and he said, I am not Romanian. By now, we were quite confused. But he pointed at a text in the Bible, and he gave it to me. And said, read what it says. I looked at it, and it said, Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20. The guard was a Christian. He turned to his subordinates and said, Let these people alone. They are okay. They're Christians. As you can imagine, I said, Thank you, Lord. This man understood something about the kingdom of God, that our first place of citizenship is in the kingdom of God. His point here that I think is a really good one that we need to start with is that the kingdom of God is not a place. That was the whole idea. It doesn't matter if you live in a place called America or a place called Romania. The kingdom of God is not a place. We often think of a kingdom as a location. We we may think of a medieval land with castles and knights riding around defending their kingdom. Or maybe we think of a place like Disney, the magic kingdom, which is a location. Or maybe we think of the United Kingdom, which we can identify on a map, a location with borders, a geographical place. That that is exactly what the Jews of Jesus' day thought when he talked about the kingdom. They were awaiting a Messiah, a king who would come and overthrow the Roman government who ruled over them and restore Israel. That was their hope, that he would restore this nation's political power to a place of authority. But he didn't do that. And as a matter of fact, when he was arrested and stood before Pilate, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded, my kingdom is not of this world. 
In his first coming, Jesus didn't inaugurate or bring a kingdom with geographic borders. That's very important to understand. So if the kingdom of God is not a place, what is it? Well, it's helpful to understand what the word kingdom means. It could also be translated reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign, or rule. So where is the kingdom of God if it's not a place with borders? The kingdom of God is the place where the king rules. Where the king rules, there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not determined by where you live. It's determined by whom you serve. The kingdom of God is present among his people. It's wherever the king is acknowledged and his rule embraced, that's where the kingdom of God is found. The kingdom of God is in our midst this morning as his people gather to acknowledge his reign, his rule. We are in the realm of the kingdom as we bow the knee before the king. So, The next most important question after where is the kingdom, if it's not a place, but it's where the the king rules, the next question is when is the kingdom? Is the kingdom now? Is, is Is the kingdom present now, or is it a future reality that we look forward to? Yes, it is both. In a very real sense, the kingdom of God has already come because it arrived with the coming of the king. When Jesus comes, he brings the kingdom. Jesus announced the kingdom not only as a future reality, but he announced the kingdom in the present tense. Here it is, he would say. As a matter of fact, if you go back just two pages in your Bible, uh, in Matthew 4, this is how Jesus sort of begins his ministry. In other Gospels, it begins sooner. And in, in, in the book of Mark, it begins in the, like 14 verses in, this happens. In Matthew, we have his birth and some other stuff, his temptation. Uh, and then in verse 17 of chapter 4, we get this. From that time, Jesus began to preach. So this is the beginning of his preaching ministry. He began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God He uses those interchangeably. They mean the same thing. They both mean God's rule. But he's saying Jesus began to preach. This was the message of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's here. The kingdom of God is within reach. The kingdom of God is present with you nearby in the presence of the king. Later in Matthew, in chapter 12, Jesus frees a man who is oppressed by demons. And, and those around say, they're, they're in awe that this demonized man is free. And they say, can this be the son of David? What does that mean? David was a great king. The son of David is the king, the Messiah, who will come in the line of David and bring uh, rescue, bring his reign. So can this be the son of David? And Jesus said this when they said, can this be the king we're waiting for? He says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Jesus says, I have come to dispel the powers of darkness, to free people who are enslaved to Satan. And if I have come to do that, you know the kingdom is present. The kingdom is present when Jesus preaches and announces the good news, when he heals, when he delivers people, when he does miracles. This is all the presence of God, the kingdom of God by the Spirit of God, bringing people into his reign, under his authority. The kingdom is present in the coming of Christ the King. So what does that mean for us? Jesus isn't physically here in the flesh today on earth. So what does it mean for us? Well, it means that when you become a believer in Jesus, when you become a follower of Christ, you come under his rule. That means you become part of the kingdom of God by faith. So the kingdom of God is a reality for us. It's what it means to be a Christian. It means to be a citizen of the kingdom, which is what the opening story was all about. It means to be a citizen of the kingdom as our primary, premier allegiance above all other allegiances. This is what Colossians says. Rob read this as a call to worship, but I want to read a section of it again. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it's saying that we have moved from one kingdom into another, uh, just like the Exodus, freed from Egypt and brought in to a new land. He's delivered us from the domain. That means the realm, the rule, the reign of darkness, the reign of Satan. And he's transferred us into a new kingdom, the rule, the reign of his beloved son. So becoming a Christian could be viewed in a lot of ways in the Bible. It could be going from death to life. It could be blind, going from blindness to sight. Uh, but in this case, it's a transfer from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of his son. So this is a way of looking at conversion, the very image of transferring kingdoms, being relocated into a new kingdom uh, in Christ where we're redeemed and we receive forgiveness of sins and new life. So the kingdom of God is wherever the kingdom rules. And for the believer, we have been transferred to that kingdom by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you turn to Christ and believe, your sins are forgiven. And, and if you've never done that before, you, you have a wonderful opportunity in front of you to turn to Christ, to turn and experience the rule and the reign of the gracious king of the universe. He's a savior, he's a shepherd, he's a friend, but he's also the king and calls us into his kingdom. When you turn from sin and believe in him, you receive eternal life. So the kingdom is here and we're part of it. But yet the kingdom is not here fully. It's not here fully. So we're just getting a taste of the kingdom in this life. We just get a taste. The Bible calls it a foretaste. One day we will experience his rule in all of its glory. Jesus will return and the kingdom will arrive in its fullness. Heaven and earth will meet in the new heavens and the new earth, and all things will be made new. That is the ultimate kingdom that we long for. Now, this is all background to the prayer. We need to understand this before we pray the prayer, or we'll pray this prayer ill-informed, and, and mis we'll misunderstand the whole point of it. So the kingdom is here, 
but it's also future in a new heavens and new earth. And in that day, all suffering, all evil will be gone forever. And the scene is set beautifully. If you read the last couple of chapters of the Bible in the book of Revelation, you'll see, the king, you'll see a picture of kingdom come. The kingdom come. Revelation 21, 23 says of this kingdom, of this city, the city of God, it's described so beautifully. It says, in that day, in the city of God, there is no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The, the light of Christ, the light, the blazing light of his holiness just emanates from his being and lights the whole city. And because we have resurrection bodies, we are not destroyed by a glimpse of his holiness, but we celebrate and worship this king. That is the kingdom of glory. And if you look at today's news or you look at your social media feed, or you spend any amount of time with a fellow human being, you will find out we ain't there yet. This isn't the kingdom of glory. So there's something about this prayer that looks forward to something much better. We can say the kingdom is here and that's glorious, but there's something much better to come. Here's a phrase that theologians use that I have found so helpful. Theologians commonly describe the kingdom of God, the timing of the kingdom of God is this way. Already here, but not yet here in fullness. So the kingdom is already, but it's not yet. It's already, but it's not yet. So we live in the in-between. We live in the in-between, the already here, but the not yet here. The king, Jesus, has come and he's overthrown the evil one through the cross and resurrection. He has brought his kingdom, showing his power, his light in the darkness. And yet, the kingdom's not really here fully yet. One way this is often illustrated that's a helpful uh, concept for, if you're a history buff in particular perhaps, or at least aware of this event, uh, would be the difference in D-Day and V-E Day. So D-Day is the name of the day, June 6th, 1944, when Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. Many made tremendous sacrifices, lost their lives. Yet the, the allied uh, storming of the beach was successful. They won a decisive victory over the Nazis, and that's called D-Day. But there were still months of battles that followed that, sort of cleanup operations, I guess you could say, but months of battles before the Germans unconditionally surrendered in May of the next year. So it was almost a full year. D-Day was on June 6th. May of the next year was VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. That's when everything was finally, uh, you know, sort of made official, we could say. The battle was won on D-Day, but the battle victory wasn't fully experienced until there was a complete surrender on VE Day Uh, in the next year. And so we experience the rule and reign of Christ now, but we also struggle against the brokenness of our world. We We also struggle with sin and suffering and grief and injustice 
We still are, we still, and we see this in our world today, suffering. We still have physical battles, emotional battles, spiritual battles, broken relationships. People die. We, we still live in a fallen world. But there's coming a day when all things will be made right, when all the effects of the curse will be reversed one day. And so now we're in the already but not yet. The period between D-Day where the battle was won and where it officially was recognized uh, with a complete surrender on V-E Day. That's where we live. And so until all of God's enemies, sin, sickness, death, sorrow, grief, loneliness, darkness, until all of God's enemies are forever put under his feet. We live in this in-between, and so we pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. So what are we asking when we say, let your kingdom come? The first week of this series, I recommended a book by Philip Ryken called When You Pray, and it's a very, very helpful book on specifically on the Lord's Prayer. And he says in there that when we pray your kingdom come, we're not praying for the kingdom to come into existence, but to come into dominance. I love that. We're not praying, God, bring something that's not here. We're not saying inaugurate something that has not been inaugurated. Oh, it's been inaugurated in the person of Christ. But we're praying, may your kingdom come not into existence, but into dominance. And so what we're really praying is, God, may your rule increase more and more. May your rule increase more and more. If you get anything out of this, that's the idea. God, may your kingdom come. May your rule increase more and more. And I think there's probably at least three dimensions to that prayer. I want to talk about that sort of help us understand. First of all, we're praying for his kingdom to come in depth, in depth. We're asking for his rule to increase in our personal lives, uh, in our families, in our church. This is a corporate prayer among the people of God. And so as we grow to become more like Jesus, he is increasingly ruling our desires, increasingly ruling our thoughts, our words, our actions. He is, he is ruling over us. When we pray, may your kingdom come as a Christian, I'm praying, Lord, I want your reign to saturate all areas of my life. Everything I'm called to do, all that I'm called to be, I want your reign. I want King Jesus' reign to fill me. And that's why this is always a prayer of repentance. Because for the kingdom of God to come in greater depth in my life, he must become greater and I must become lesser. When, when Jesus starts his ministry praying, praying, uh, preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's always the way it goes. Though he's come, we're always living in a repentant way. Lord, may your kingdom rule more and more in my life. This is a repentant prayer, and it is a bold prayer. You know, this is even a dangerous prayer to pray. Al Mohler, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, says, when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying something incredibly dangerous because it imperils our comfort. It devalues our ease. 
By praying your kingdom come, Jesus teaches us that we are ultimately meant to value God's agenda, not our own. Your kingdom come sounds all nice to pray, but when we think about his kingdom saturating, when we think about his kingdom going deeper in my life, it means that I'm, I'm, I'm devaluing my ease. Man, I love that phrase. I'm just saying, you know what? My ease in life is not so important. Your kingdom is important. It means that my comfort isn't the primary value of my life. Your agenda is the primary value of my life. It means taking all of my uh, storyline of how I would write the story of my life or our church's life. It's saying, Lord, we offer that to you and we want your story. You write the story and we gladly submit to that. Your rule and your reign come. So where do you need God's grace today to experience his good, benevolent, generous, gracious reign more and more in your life? Where do you need the rule of Christ to to cover your heart and life? Is it in your marriage? That's a prayer. Lord, would your reign come into my marriage? Is it in your money? With the way you manage your money, Lord, would your rule and reign bring order to my finances that I might steward them for you? Or maybe it's your work. Or maybe it's a particular dominating sin in your life. Lord, my anger, I turn from that and I say, would your kingdom of peace come and rule in my kingdom of anger? Lust, worry, fear, pride. Maybe it's an addiction that dominates your life. Alcohol, pornography, something that dominates who you are, that that is serving as king over your life, is serving as a ruling power that reigns over your emotions and your soul. And you're saying, Lord, I I turn to you. I, I need you. Maybe it's your relationships, the way you use your time. Maybe it's the way you steward your body, sleep, diet exercise, rest, these kinds of things. Lord, would you rule over my physical body? Your kingdom come is a prayer of repentance where we turn to the Lord afresh. We recognize what he has done for us in the gospel. We recognize that we're in union with the king, in union with Christ, and we ask for his power to continue to transform us, to make us more like Christ, conform us into his image. Another way of saying that is that his reign would go deeper in our soul and our life to receive his power to live under his rule. I think there's another aspect of this prayer as well, and that's that we're praying to make a kingdom connection to all that we do. Not only all that we are, but all that we do. So we're saying, if I pray daily, let your kingdom come, and I pray that thoughtfully, really considering what this means, then it means my eyes are going to be open to making kingdom connections between the rule of Christ and the so-called mundane areas of my life. That the rule of Christ touches all of my life, not Sunday morning uh, for an hour plus, but all of my life. We're seeking to, to see the kingdom come with presence and power in our lives. Again, I'm, I'm going to quote Philip Ryken from his book on the Lord's Prayer. He says, whenever you calculate the accounts payable, double check a lab result, haul away the trash, serve a hot meal to the homeless, finish your history homework, help a customer find the right size, water the geraniums, or snap a lid on the sippy cup. You're doing kingdom work. 
You are doing kingdom work provided that is you do whatever you do in submission to God's rule for the sake of his royal honor. You are doing kingdom work, not because doing these things will necessarily change the world, but because by doing them, you show God has changed you. It's the rule of God which informs all that I do so that I'm turning and saying, I live my life for your glory, O king. I owe everything to you, and I want to see your, your kingdom come. And those things do change the world in a certain way, but it's ultimately demonstrating that God has changed us. Well, this is not the only way we pray the kingdom of God to come. We pray it come in depth, but we also pray it comes in width, deep and wide. We pray in the breadth that the kingdom of God would come with breadth. That is, we we ask him to increase his rule more and more all around us. This is an aggressive prayer that we're asking that many would come to know this wonderful king that this is a prayer for the extension of the kingdom, that the rule and reign of Christ would come to people all around us, wherever he's placed us, that it's not just me and my family and my church and, and, uh, and, and other Christians that we enjoy this reign of God. No, we're anticipating the full reign of God over all of creation when heaven and earth become one. So let's get a taste of that in an increasing way now as the kingdom spreads for many to meet him. Well, how does that kingdom spread? How does the rule and reign spread? It's interesting. People have different emphases on how it spreads. Often, uh, emphases that aren't thought through very well. Historically, theological liberals have emphasized that the kingdom of God comes through good works towards others. Early in the uh, 1900s, this came to be known as sort of the social gospel, where liberal Christians, uh, theological liberals, that is, taught that it was through care for the poor and social justice and social action that that's how the kingdom of God was spread into the world. As important as those things are, that is not the kingdom of God spreading into the world. Theological conservatives, on the other hand, have often acted like the kingdom of God spreads not through social action, but through political action. It's, it's if our candidate and our policies are enacted, if our candidate is elected, that will bring kingdom values as if the kingdom of God is spread in a geographic location through a particular nation. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Both of those envision kingdom expansion without the gospel. And the kingdom never expands without the gospel. You can care for every need imaginable. You can enact family values everywhere you want. But without the gospel, there is no spread of the kingdom of God. That's why Riken again says God's way of establishing the kingdom is primarily through the preaching of the cross. It is announcing the good news. Does politics matter? Yes. Does social action, care for the poor, social justice, does that matter? Yes. But The kingdom only spreads through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel. The message of the good news is spread through people. 
It's spread through daily through people as we build relationships and live our lives with others. And that's why when we pray this daily with this kind of a mindset, Lord, may the kingdom go deep in me, but may the kingdom go through us, go deep in us, but may it go broad through us as well. When we pray that way in informed prayer, every day our eyes are going to be open to not only everything I do matters, not only holiness and conform to the image of Christ matters, but also the spread of the gospel matters. And so we hit our day thinking, Lord, where are you expanding the kingdom through me today? To whom do I have a relationship that the kingdom could come? He expands the, peop- the kingdom through regular people reaching regular people. The kingdom spreads through relationships because the kingdom is experienced wherever his people are. You don't cross a geographic boundary and come into a land of the kingdom and all of a sudden you're into the kingdom. It spreads through faith in Christ, through people who know him, through relationships. And so kingdom expansion, it could look like great sacrifice and helping someone in need. But oftentimes, it's, it's not that incredible moment of crisis where we're there to share the gospel. It's regular stuff. It's, it's among neighbors and coworkers, fellow students. It's having coffee with someone, inviting someone over, getting to know a coworker, befriending the parents on your kid's soccer team, being a kind and good neighbor that reaches out to others, building relationships for an opportunity to communicate the good news because that's how the gospel spreads and the kingdom spreads. It's taking small relational initiatives and praying, your kingdom come. May your rule increase to those I know. May your kingdom come through us. So if we pray this prayer on a regular basis, it gives us kingdom eyes, kingdom expansion eyes, which we're all called to. Now, Rob got up here and did the call to worship. I'm now preaching. Neither of us um, do that in t-shirts normally, but today we have our t-shirts on. I mean, we're typically quite fashion conscious, Rob and I, you may have noticed. But today we're just like the rest of you, regular people and uh, wearing, wearing our t-shirts, right, Rob? Can I get an amen? Yeah. So what do our t-shirts say? They say alpha. And then they say on the side, try alpha, alpha with a big old question mark. I hope you can see that at, at home in all its glory. This is a key application for us you know, we didn't arrange this this way. I just landed on your kingdom come this Sunday and Tuesday night Alpha begins. But Alpha is an entire ministry which is built on spreading relationship through the relationships we have, spreading the good news of Jesus through conversation, through allowing people to ask questions, through presenting the good news of Christ. The kingdom expands in that way. And this Tuesday night, we're doing it online at 8 p.m. It's the preview night. And I'd encourage you to invite a friend. Here's how you can do that. You can go to our website and you can register yourself. Your friend could register or you could register yourself and you'll get a link, a link to the Zoom, a Zoom link that'll allow you to participate Tuesday night at 8 p.m. And you can just forward that link to your friend and say, jump on, jump on this Zoom call. We're going to be seeing a video and then having a a discussion. Uh, You can just listen in. You don't have to say anything. You're welcome just to listen in, but it's a way that you can invite someone. And Alpha is always non-threatening, but it's even more non-threatening now because you don't have to come to a building. You don't have to sit down and 
talk to people you don't know. You're kind of doing a, a, a Zoom thing. So anyway, I encourage you in that. That's a way for us to pray for kingdom expansion and to sort of seek to be the answer to our prayers. Lord, uh, send me, in other words. So who do you have that you can invite? Just go to the front page of our website, and you'll be able to invite someone to that or register and then send them to the link, and you can show up this first night. We're only asking people to come one night. If they like it, they can come through the course. If they don't, that's fine. But they're able to come one night and find out about Alpha, and uh, that's why we're in T-shirts this day. Well, lastly, I'll be super brief on this, but we pray this petition, this petition, not only for depth and breadth, but I might say it this way, but also height as well. That is, we're praying for the kingdom to come fully with the return of Christ, for heaven to come to earth. Spatially, if I could say it that way, spatially speaking, we're praying for his rule above and his rule below to become one. And that's the great hope. The great hope is not that a bunch of Christians get snatched out of the world and everything keeps going. No, the great hope of the Bible is that heaven and earth meet in the new heavens and the new earth, that heaven comes to earth and the two kingdoms, as it were, are one on earth as it is in heaven. That is the fulfillment that we long for and we pray for and we're to remain faithful today, but we're always to be looking for that day and to pray your kingdom come on a daily basis in anticipation of the return of Christ is a very healthy thing. Keeps our eyes on eternity. Keeps our eyes on the king. Keeps our eyes on why we're living. And keeps our eyes on the great hope in the midst of so much hopelessness today. We long for Christ to return, uh, especially in days like today. I'm going to be talking between now and November after this series a little bit about the kingdom and politics. But I do want to say this. I think it's very helpful right now when many are staking their hopes, many are staking their existential hopes and their physical hopes as well on the outcome of an election. It's just helpful to have the return of Christ and heaven meeting earth in view because as kingdom people, we fix our ultimate hope on a different kingdom and a different king. We participate in the process we must participate in the process to be faithful citizens. But our hope and our well-being and our soul's condition is not based on anyone who, who has any office on this planet. It's on the one who is risen and ascended and sits at the right hand of God. And whether it's blue or red, whether it's left or right, he is not shaken at all. He rules over all. So when we pray your kingdom come, it is a subversive prayer. We are We're called to be subversive because we are looking to one. We're revolutionary. We're looking to one who is over the president, the governor, the whoever holds office. We respect them. We pray for them. But our heart allegiance goes to the one who rules over them. And we look forward to the day he will return and make all things new. And so we echo the prayer. The last, the second to last verse of the Bible is this. Come, Lord Jesus. So the prayer, your kingdom come, is that prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. 
May your kingdom come deep into my life, affecting all of my life. And may I make kingdom connections to all that I do. And may your reign affect all that I am, who I am and what I do, all under King Jesus. May your kingdom come with breath. Would you give us grace to spread the gospel, the good news to those who need you through the relationships that you've entrusted me. May I steward them to be a representative of the king, telling your good news to those who need you. And lastly, Lord, we pray the second to last verse of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. May you come and rule and reign in a new heavens and a new earth. This is what we're praying for the glory of God, for his kingdom rule to come. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.